Amen. Amen. So we're going to continue what we started uh, several weeks ago. We're talking about real freedom. What does it look like? And uh, last week we were talking about uh, no longer slaves, how that Christ has paid the price to set us free from bondage. We're going to kind of continue that a little bit because not only are we free from bondage, but it's not just that we can go forward and not be bound because he wants more for us than that. He wants us to overcome, to live victoriously. Um, and I don't always feel like that that's what I'm doing. But I know that he supplies everything that's needed. The problem is not on his end, it's on my end. Now, Paul's dealing with this kind of thing in Romans chapter 8. And, uh, and that God wants us to overcome even the most difficult obstacles in our life. And in chapter 7, he'd been talking about how that battle goes on. That there's that... That flesh part of us, that fleshly nature, that even though we're a new creature in Christ, that this new person, this new person that he's made us to be, this person that's been born again and made alive, still lives in this body of flesh that is cursed by sin. And then there's that struggle. And Paul talks about it in chapter 7, about how that, that struggle goes on. And, and, and the things that I really want to do, I don't end up doing. And then he comes up with this really strange statement at the very end of that chapter. And it connects to what we're going to talk about, where he says, what's the answer? What's the answer? He says, thanks be to God, in verse 25 of chapter 7. Through our Lord or through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's the answer. It's Christ. He's the answer to all this. But then he says, So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now, what that doesn't mean is that, well, in my heart, you know, I'm just serving God, but you know, in my body, I just do bad stuff all the time. Uh, that's not okay, and that's not what he means. What he's going to say is, and what he's trying to tell us is that my flesh. That's all it can do is serve sin. So what I've got to do is I've got to crucify the flesh, so to speak, and I've got to yield my will not to the flesh but to the Spirit and walk according to the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, His presence in me, and not according to what I want to do. I can't live the Christian life. I can't even keep the law in the strength of my flesh. And that's kind of the backdrop of this because a lot of Christ followers are just trying to make it, we're just trying to make it through all the challenges that we have. And, uh, and we understand that, that, that there's something bigger going on, but sometimes we don't focus on our greater purpose and the path that he has for us. So I've been praying the Holy Spirit will open up our, our hearts and open my heart up to this because I need to know how much he wants me to overcome. And so do you. So the first thing we've got to get nailed down is that we have by faith, received God's gift of salvation that Jesus paid for on the cross. Talked about that every week. And this is the gospel. This is what it's all about, that God paid for our sins and not only paid for our sins on the cross, but then he supplies us righteousness that Christ achieved is deposited into our account. Um, so this is a great exchange that when I trust him, my sins are placed on him, he pays for them, and then I receive his perfection, his righteousness. And that's all received by faith, by trusting him. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. But when I do that, I become obediently identified when I do that with his death. And my baptism, and we've talked about that last week, is a picture of that, how that I'm identified with his death, burial, and resurrection. And once again, that's why we baptize by immersion. It identifies, it symbolizes, it pictures that. Because he didn't just die on the cross. He rose from the grave, and he was 
He, he conquered the grave. He conquered death. He conquered sin. And so by faith, I obediently identify with that part as well. My baptism symbolizes all of this. I'm making a statement of faith and I'm making a statement of obedience that I've passed from death to life spiritually because of Jesus. I've got a new life now. I've got a new destiny now. I've got a new purpose now that I never had before. I've got a new power now that's not my own but his. So even though I'm still living in this old world uh, that's got all of its (laughs) problems, and even though I still deal with this fleshly self, My life and my life in this world and my eternity has a whole new path, a whole new power, and a whole new purpose. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, here we go. Here's what he says. He says this. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And now you may be reading from a translation that includes in that verse, the last part of verse 4, who walked. Uh, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Most of the manuscripts, the ancient manuscripts, don't have that in verse 1. It's in verse 4, but it fits both places. Uh, so get this. We are free uh, because there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No fear of judgment. So here's what he's saying. First of all, and being free to overcome, you are free from condemnation if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. You have that freedom. You need to claim it. There's no fear of judgment um, for those who are in Christ. And that word, therefore, that we have in our English translation is a connector. And in the original language, the word that's translated is the same thing. It's a connector. It connects us to what he was saying about that struggle that goes on between the flesh and the spirit that he was talking about in chapter 7. So he says there is no condemnation. The word no actually comes first in the original language of the New Testament. And and it comes first because of of emphasis. It emphasizes uh, that uh, there is no con, no, there is no condemnation. You're saved by God's grace, which you receive by faith. You're now in Christ and Christ is in you. It's not about you. It's all about him. And condemnation here, when he says there's no condemnation, condemnation is just another word for judgment. You want to know why? Because our sins were judged at the cross. Our sins have already been judged at Calvary. They're not going to be brought up again. Did you know that? That's what he's talking about here. That they'll, they'll not be, see, that would be double jeopardy. Why is God going to punish you for something that he's already punished his son for in full? So because you've trusted Christ, your past sins are paid for. And God is not going to judge you for those sins. He's already put on Jesus those sins and judged him. So Satan likes to complicate matters because he's a liar. He likes to come along and take those past sins that are forgiven now, there's a difference between condemnation and consequences. There's things that he has forgiven you for, but because of what you did, there may be consequences that you have to deal with, two separate things. But Satan wants to come along and try to tell you you're still living under condemnation. You're still guilty when you're not. The word uh, devil in the original language literally means accuser. And that's what he is. He's a slanderer. He's an accuser. In Revelation 12.10, he's called the accuser of the brethren. And condemnation, hey, that's his native language. 
Sometimes, especially if you're not growing, it can be really difficult to, dis- to distinguish at times. As you're living your Christian life, you're trying to overcome. And, and see, here's one way he holds us in bondage, is that he causes us to feel bondage to sin that we've already been forgiven for. And sometimes it can be a little tricky, even for us, even if you've walked in Christ for, for years, to distinguish between the enemy's accusations, because he's the accuser, and the Holy Spirit's convictions. And if we're not careful, we'll listen to the wrong voice and we don't experience the freedom. We don't experience the victory. We're not overcoming. I know we've talked about this before, but here's some just basic things to get down on this. How to tell the difference. And we've got to stick close to the Word of God. We've got to base every bit of this on the Word of God because we find that the Holy Spirit's convictions, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, His convictions are based on truth. Meanwhile, Satan's accusations are based on lies. But now the best liar, as they say, is the liar who tells the lie that sounds the most like the truth. So he likes to put a little bit of truth. He likes to twist scripture, just like he did with Jesus uh, when he tempted him in the wilderness. He likes to twist it just so it sounds right, but if you're not paying attention, and if you're not staying deep in the word, you could be deceived. And you might be listening to Satan's lies and his accusations. The other thing is, is the Holy Spirit's conviction is sent to mobilize us into action. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, he's not doing it just so that we just totally shut down. He wants us to repent. He wants action to happen in our life, to move us into an area that God is directing us. Meanwhile, Satan's accusations, they're designed to paralyze us, to paralyze us in guilt and fear. The Holy Spirit's convictions, they direct you in specific areas. When the Holy Spirit's convicting you and you get in the Word, He's going to show you specific things in your life, specific actions and attitudes and thoughts and whatever it is. He's going to direct you to that. But meanwhile, Satan's accusations, they condemn you vaguely. You hear it in things like, you're no good, you're worthless, you're a failure, you can't do it. These are big, vague things that he likes to throw at you and try to get you to believe it. He's a liar. The Holy Spirit's convictions empower change in our life. Satan's accusations, they diminish hope. So you got to be careful that you're listening to the right voice. The Holy Spirit's convictions are designed to keep you in, to keep you in fellowship with one another, keep you in fellowship with Christ. Satan's accusations are designed to take you out, to get you out of fellowship with God, to get you out of fellowship with your brothers and sisters, to get you out of fellowship in church. And so the thing is, if we heed the Holy Spirit's conviction, and if I, if I focus in on that and I hear that and I act on that, then I won't have to worry or fear the enemy's accusations or threats. So what I've got to do is tune in to the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit, and I need to tune out the enemy's accusations and lies. And I've got to stay in the Word of God in order to know the difference. Maybe one reason that the devil keeps in your own mind bringing up your past that Paul says there's no condemnation if you're in Christ, but he keeps bringing it up and keeps bringing it up, and you keep feeling like somehow or another I, I, I'm not forgiven. I've got to keep trying to f- earn that forgiveness or keep begging God for forgiveness. Maybe one reason he keeps bringing up your past is because maybe you're doing better than you think. Maybe he doesn't have any good new material to work through. And when he reminds you of your past, you know what the best thing to do? And somebody said, remind him of his future. Yeah, that's true. 
but also remind him of what else has happened already in the past, of how my sins were nailed to the cross. He hates to hear that. And you know what? It's always been said, old preacher I heard say, God's hammer doesn't have a claw. You know, the claw on the back of the hammer that pulls nails out? God's hammer doesn't have one. When he nails it, it stays nailed. And when Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him that your sins have already been nailed to the cross. And I'm sure Paul thought of this. I'm sure Paul, as he's writing this, uh, maybe he thought about when he was younger and he hadn't embraced Christ. In fact, he was an enemy of Christ and he uh, cast his vote for Stephen's death in Acts chapter 7. Maybe he remembers he watched Stephen die as a martyr. Remember that sermon that he preached and the Holy Spirit probably used that to convict his heart and convince him. Uh, he remembered his sin in persecuting the church. And, and in 1 Timothy, he even refers to himself as the chief of sinners. So Paul knew that about himself. He knew like, well, I've got some bad stuff in my past. But yet he got freedom from it because he understood this. And he's sharing it with us now. And when he thought about it, it just caused him to praise God more now. Realizing how that he had been set free from that guilt and that sin. And that's why... Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9. He says in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, that he, that's God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I remember one time visiting a very elderly man in the hospital. And for some reason, he had listened to the, to the devil's accusations and he believed that he could not be forgiven. He had lived too long. He would resisted God. I couldn't be forgiven. And I said, do you want to be forgiven? Yes. Do you believe? Yes, I believe Jesus died on the cross. Yes. I said, do you believe the word of God's true? You know what? He even believed that. He even believed, yes, I believe it, but I believe. And he, he kept quoting from the Old Testament, from the story of, of Noah. You remember when God said, my spirit shall not always strive with man he began he kept saying that and I said well is this is God's spirit striving with you or not do you feel do you feel conviction for your sin do you want your sin to be forgiven do you desire a relationship with God yes but I can't be I took him to this verse I said <laughs> he says if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive are you willing to confess it to him to agree together with God that this is true about you and to trust him and what Jesus did on the cross are you willing to do that because if you are, he promises that he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all of it, from all unrighteousness. I finally said, you're going to have to decide whether you're going to believe what this says or are you going to believe the voice you're hearing in your head, which is the enemy. You know, after, after talking and for a good while, he was in very bad health. Um, I pressed just a little bit more than what I even felt comfortable. And I finally said, well, will you pray with me? And we prayed, and I even prayed, tried to lead him through the sinner's prayer. I left the hospital that day not knowing for sure whether he just prayed with me to get me out of there or what. But it was like a couple of days later, a family member called me and said that one of their relatives had said that he had called them in. And he had told them how that he had trusted Christ and received and claimed that forgiveness that the enemy had caused him to think he couldn't have. And he died about a week later. And that's the thing is we've got to, he, he almost missed it all because of, of, of listening to the wrong voice and believing Satan's lies. If we confess our sins, you ever notice how that a lot of times it's our confessed sins that Satan keeps bringing up? You ever notice that? 
I mean, some of the sin that I may have in my life right now that's unconfessed, he leaves that alone. He doesn't want you to think about that. He wants you to keep doing that. Stuff, though, in the past that you've already confessed and asked forgiveness for, he wants to keep bringing that up so he can hold you in bondage. Well, so there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then verse 2, Romans chapter 8, verse 2, he says this. For, and this is why, this is why there's no condemnation. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. Did you hear that? Has set you free in Christ Jesus. There it is again. In Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So not only are you free from condemnation, you're also now free from the law of sin and death. That's what he says here. You are free. Now, he says there is, did you notice that in verse 1? There is now, no, there was condemnation, but now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That word now is, is very powerful. Now, get real technical, and I only know this because I looked it up. This is a primary particle of present time in the original language of the New Testament. Uh, it's like, that wasn't always true of me, but it is now. If I'm in Christ Jesus, it's true. And the rest of this, this verse uh, that sometimes in verse 1, uh, like I said, goes down to verse 4 where he talks about who is not walking according to the flesh, but we're walking according to the Spirit. But he can forgive you and deliver you now, right now, at this very moment. He can set you free. He didn't just die, though, to forgive you. He didn't just die so that you wouldn't have, so that you would not have condemnation. He didn't just die to set you free from that. He died not just to forgive you, but to change you. He can change the whole path and purpose of your life and your existence. But you've got to live it out as you do, as it says here, as you walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. You know, God delivered Israel from Egypt. And that's an amazing story. And the power of God, how he brought them out of there and delivered them from over 400 years of Egyptian bondage. He did it in one day. I mean, there was all the plagues and stuff, but when it came time, he got them out of there in one day. It took one day to deliver them from Egypt, but it took over 40 years to get Egypt out of them. And one day, he can change your position. Um, have you thought about that? You're, we talked about that last week, about your position in Christ. You have a new position. Before, you were in your sin. Now you are in Christ Jesus Every single day, he's working to change your path. Every single day, he's working to change your direction into his direction. Uh, instead of walking in your own way, you're walking in his way because now his power and his presence has entered into you. And that's what he's talking about, walking according to the Spirit. We still have a will. And even though this new life I have is still in this old body of sin that has been cursed and flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, I still have a will, and I make a decision every day. Am I going to yield myself? Am I going to surrender myself to do what I want to do and please my fleshly self? Or am I going to yield my will to do what he wants to do? And so Paul's been talking about the law, the Old Testament law. And that's what he says. It was the law of sin and death. Did you see that in that verse? 
how the law sets forth a perfect standard. And it is good in that. It sets forth a perfect standard. But the law itself is printed on a page. It was written in stone. But it wasn't written in her hearts. It had no power to change you. But now, here's what he says. Uh, he says that the good news is that there's a more powerful law at work now. And that is what he calls in that verse 2. He calls it the law of the spirit of life in Christ. And what it does is it frees you from the law of sin and death. Because all that the old law did, and it was something that had to happen before I could experience uh, the, the whole thing of trusting Christ and, and him dying on the cross for my sin and receiving new life, I had to realize that I was spiritually dead and that I needed that. The law helped do that. But all the law could do, Paul is saying in this, in this whole book, is convince me of my sin, and the end of sin is what? It's death. It's death. So he says it's the law of sin and death. And that was never God's uh, end goal. His goal is to lead us to the fact that we need a Savior. And that's why all the way through the law, there were the sacrifices and, and that, that were substitutes to cover their sin. Because this, this animal, this sacrifice, had to die as a substitute for the fact that I'm supposed to die. And as, I, as they trusted God and they trusted the, the provision that he made, um, God overlooked their sin or God put off his judgment of their sin until Christ came and covered those sins. And you and I today, when we trust Christ and we put our faith in him, our sins are pushed back to that cross where Jesus died and paid for our sins. Uh, so the old law could only convince us of sin, which ends in death. But now... The law, he says, of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law was never able to save us. Uh, and it could not give you the power to overcome the law of sin in your sinful nature. That's what he's saying in chapter 7. That's why with your flesh, all you could do was serve sin. You can't do it on your own. There's, but the good news is there's a new power. That is taking up residence. There's a new power. It's not just me in the flesh. Once I've trusted Christ, there's a new presence, a new power taking up residence in me. Because now I am in Christ and Christ is in me. His presence is now living in me. The Spirit brings His own operating system. He begins to rewire everything. And now it's all about life in Christ rather than death and sin and in the flesh. And this is what the Lord wants to work in all of our lives. He wants to work in our lives. And, and, and it's, it's too broad to say that, you know, he wants to do a great work in our church. And I believe he does. It's too broad to say he wants to do a great work in our community. Because what we need to do first is, is that's not where it's going to happen first. Somehow we just think it's just going to happen. He wants us to narrow this down and realize, first of all, he wants something to happen in me. And in you. And then if it happens in me. If it happens in you. And if it happens to the people who are sitting by you. If it happens to the people who sit around and worship at church with you. If it happens in you and if it happens in them. It's going to happen in our whole congregation. And if it begins to happen in us. And if it happens to people that we're close to. It can happen and spread throughout our whole community. That God does an amazing thing. In and then through our lives. And God was so moved by our condition that he chose to come and pay that ultimate price. I mean, even before 
you were born, even before any of us were born, even before, you know what, the universe was born, he created all this knowing full well what it was going to cost him. In verse 3, he says this. Verse 3, for God has done, did you hear that? God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sin, how did he do it? Because the law couldn't give us perfection. All it does is expose our sin. How did God do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, even though Jesus never sinned, but in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, Jesus, he condemned sin in the flesh. Christ was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh. That means he was fully human, but without a sinful nature. Um, although he was perfect human, he was, by reason of the divine nature present in him, not simply uh, and merely a man. He was the incarnate Son of God. And he came, and God himself defeated sin, and he did it in the flesh, which we could never do. So because of what Christ has done, we are free from condemnation. We're free from the law of sin and death. But that doesn't mean that we just live however we want. No, because now we're walking according to the Spirit. Now, the one who wrote this lives inside of us. Instead of it just being something in a book, now it's something that's living inside of us. So the last thing is, you're also free to be fulfilled. You're free to be, you could never, so we try to fulfill our lives in all kinds of ways, doing all kinds of things. We never, always feel empty, always feel empty. The only one that can fill you is the one who made you, the one who died on the cross for you. Uh, so he fulfilled, look at this in verse four. He fulfilled it. So if you're in him, so since he fulfilled, and, and this is the amazing thing about my life being fulfilled, but how about me? <laughs> Think about this. How about me? How about you fulfilling all of the righteous requirement of the law? Now, I know I've already messed up, but in Christ, he did that on my behalf and on your behalf. He fulfilled what perfection the law demands on our behalf so that since I'm in him, God applies that to my life. Let's look at verse 4. Verse 4. He says that, um, and remember in part of verse 3 that it says that he condemned, Jesus condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Man, I need to stop and just let that sink in. The righteous requirement of the law. All this perfection that I could never do. Try as I may. Even when it looked like I was doing it on the outside, there was probably impure motives on the inside. That Jesus, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, he came and he conquered sin in the flesh. He fulfilled all of it on our behalf. So see, when we're trusting him, not only does he take our sin and pay for it, but his righteousness is deposited into our account. And then the last part of that verse, he says, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is what's going to happen because why am I going to do that? It's, see, it's because I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. And since that's true, my desire should be to walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. And during those times of the, of the day, uh, and it seems like when you're first saved, here's what happens is all your life, you, you, you may have thought you were disciplined, but you're really, doing, you're really doing what you thought worked best for you. It's like someone once said, 
uh, and I've used this illustration many times through the years, it's like a spring-loaded toggle switch. You know, a toggle switch, you know, it's kind of like it's spring-loaded. So, so it stays, you know, here. And then you press it, and while you're holding it, maybe whatever device it's operating, it opens the current, and it's on, but as soon as you let go, it clicks off. Well, before I got saved, before you got saved, our will was spring-loaded toward the flesh. I mean, we thought sometimes we were doing pretty good, but we were really just doing things for us in our own power. Once we got saved, what happens is, is the Holy Spirit begins to rewire that toggle switch. Now, all of our life, we had really lived for ourselves, so it's still spring-loaded that way, but the Holy Spirit comes along and presses it this way, toward the things of God, and according to His will. But if we don't pay attention, we don't stay on top of things, it'll pop right back, and we're doing selfish things again. As you grow as a Christian, what I found happens is, is the Holy Spirit begins to restructure that thing so that my will becomes spring-loaded, so to speak, toward the things of God, to walk in the Spirit. Now, there's times, even though that I'm, I'm mainly walking in the Spirit, there's times that when I get selfish, I can choose to push that back the other way and do and say and think things that are very selfish, fleshly, sinful, whatever. But as I grow, hopefully the more natural thing's going to be that I'm walking in the Spirit, walking according to the Spirit, His direction, His leading, fruit of the Spirit coming through my life, rather than the works of the flesh, which are all kinds of selfishness. So He wants to change my whole path. He wants to change our whole purpose of our existence. So the breach in our relationship called sin, that brought sin, uh, that, that sin that brought death and separation, it was totally our fault. It was totally our fault. We were guilty. And it so grieved God that he did something about it. He came down here. He came in the flesh, fully human, yet fully God. And he not only defeated sin, he did it in the flesh. And he did it not just as God, but as, as human. And then, don't forget this part, he fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law on our behalf. Because you know what? We did not. And we have not. And we cannot fulfill it on our own. I mean, this is the victory that we have. This is the freedom that we have to overcome. This is, this is what he's done on our behalf to offer us this, to pay for this, to in, in energize and to enable and to empower us. And when this happens, the flesh doesn't know what hit it. The flesh didn't know what controlled and mastered it. I mean, when Christ came, you think about it. When Christ came and he in the flesh fulfilled the only one who ever has fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law, the flesh didn't know what controlled it and what mastered it. The law never knew how fast every I could be dotted and every T crossed because he did it. Death didn't know what had escaped it. It had always held every victim, but the grave couldn't hold him. The gates of Hades got kicked down. The door to heaven was busted open. And your victory is in him. And my victory is in him. Your life is in him. He's your creator. He's your redeemer. See, think it. He's your creator and he's also your redeemer. I'm glad that the one who is the judge is also the one who paid the price to redeem me and forgive me. My savior, my Lord. And he wants you to be free to overcome. For the law of the spirit of life, being spirit led, 
has set you free in Christ Jesus. He's the one who paid the price from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He did that in order that the righteousness, the righteous requirement of the law, as far as God's concerned, is, is fulfilled in us. Now, buddy, that's freedom. That's victory to overcome. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. And I pray that you would help us claim that freedom. And I pray that you'd help us to walk in it. And Lord, if there's anybody listening right now that never has come to the place where they just fully and completely acknowledge their inability to do it on their own, to confess that, yes, I'm a sinner, and to put all their trust, all their faith, all their reliance upon you, Jesus, and what you did on the cross and in the power of your resurrection. That there may be somebody right now making up their mind that this is a decision you make in your heart. You can pray out loud. You can pray inside. God hears it all the same. But Lord, I just pray that you would help. As I'm praying and talking to you right now, I'm also talking to people who are hearing this prayer. And I want to pray for them. And I want to pray if there's anybody here or anywhere that needs to pray that, that they would do it right now and that you would help them do that, that you'd continue to draw them, that, that they would realize the forgiveness that is to be had and the righteousness that we don't have that you want to put into our account. And I pray that you'd help us all to walk according to the Spirit and live that life of freedom. We're not bound by the rules. We are free to please you and to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.